Litcast Slovakia, the podcast about Slovak literature in English. Welcome to episode 5 of Litcast Slovakia. I'm Julia Sherwood, a literary translator based in London, and today I'll be talking to Janet Livingston, who describes herself as a multilingual world traveler who favors humor over violence. Janet was born in Boston, Massachusetts, and studied languages at McGill University in Montreal and international relations at Georgetown University in Washington, D.C. After 1989, uh, the Velvet Revolution, she ventured into Czechoslovakia and spent 16 years living in Bratislava. She has since moved back to the US. Hi, Janet. Welcome to Litka Slovakia. Hi, Julia. It's so nice to be with you. Nice to talk to you. Humor over violence. I guess that maxim has come in quite handy in recent times. Seattle, uh, where you now live, had one of the first coronavirus outbreaks in the US. And over the past few weeks, like many other cities across the country, it's seen massive protests following the killing of George Floyd. How has all this affected your life and work? Uh, quite a lot. It's been a very unsettling time. We did have uh, basically the first outbreak in the United States because of this region's uh, ties with China. So there were many people traveling back and forth. So essentially, I have not been to my office in three months. I have not seen my coworkers. We're all working from home which is quite isolating. I'm fine, uh, but I have noticed a kind of insidious stress that comes from being alone, staying at home, being afraid to go out, and so forth. And the protests are another layer on top of that, uh, also rather shocking and unsettling, although I'm on, I'm on the side of supporting the protests because I must say that... Uh, the African-Americans in this country have been mistreated and abused and economically disadvantaged for centuries, and I think it's time that we fixed it. So I did venture out to a uh, march three days ago with masks on. Everybody had their masks on, and it was very powerful. That's quite inspiring and good to hear that everyone had their mask on. Uh, now, uh, yes, I guess these unsettling times made that culture shock that you must have experienced after coming back uh, and to live in the US after many years, even it must have thrown it into an even more sharper focus. So did you find the country had changed much even before all this happened when you came back? Yes. So coming back after so many years in Europe is quite a change. It's really quite profound. And a lot of people don't don't understand that, that even between the US and Europe, where you could say that, you know, US culture came out of European culture, you could say, well, there's not that big a difference, so why is it a shock? But it is. We've evolved in separate directions, um, most European countries versus the US, I would say. So when I came back, I had to deal with a lot of new jargon and sort of cultural phenomena that I had maybe witnessed from afar from Slovakia only on inter on the internet. And I came back to live in a city that I'm not from in a different part of the country. And those cultural differences for me 
uh, between U.S. cities are quite quite significant. So it was a shock uh, for me. I think that the U.S. is dealing with a lot of very big systemic problems. Life here has become more expensive and has deteriorated since I last lived here in 2002. That was the last time I lived here. And it's it's a little bit um, scary and disappointing. It's expensive to have health insurance. Food has become very expensive. When I came from Slovakia, where bread costs one euro, and I came to Seattle where bread costs five or six dollars, I was... <laughs> I was angry for about a year <laughs> and then I just had to get over it I you know you don't have any choice you can't go and scream at the bakers um, <laughs> so you know and it, and it's fragile it's fragile here you, if you lose your job here you're in trouble quite quickly unless you have lots of savings and so you know it's not the golden road paved roads paved with gold as once thought right and so uh, apart from the expensive bread and uh, uh, general health insurance, what do you miss most about living in Europe and Bratislava in particular? Oh, where to begin? I miss Bratislava because I really have a lot of uh, wonderful relationships there, so many friends who I miss, um, and I miss them not only because they're my friends, but because the quality of the relationships in a culture like Slovakia is different from what it is here. People get closer much more quickly. Uh, they touch base more frequently. You can go out for coffee and sit around and drink coffee without feeling guilty that you're not working and you're not being productive and you're not you know, running to your next meeting the way we are here. It's just a different way of life, a slightly slower pace. Uh, and I miss Europe in general, just because of the lifestyle, the quality of the scenery, the architecture, the food, the idea that you can get in the car and drive for three hours and be in a completely different culture or even one hour. Yeah, I, I, I was very much at home in Europe and now I'm trying to be at home in my own country. <laughs> Now, your being at home in Bratislava, I think one great evidence of that was uh, your mastery of the Slovak language. When I first met you, I couldn't believe that you weren't a native speaker. So can you tell me what your secret is? I mean, how did you <laughs> master it so well? And, and then how did you get into translating? Oh, Julia, flattery will get you everywhere. <laughs> No, but it's true. It's absolutely true. And I think anyone who's met you would confirm that. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Uh, from you, that's a true compliment. Um, so, you know, it's funny. I've always enjoyed imitating people and accents and sounds. And I was just born this way. I was born with an ear. And luckily, I was also born with, apparently, with a brain that can handle language and grammar and stuff. So I began to learn the languages when I was seven years old. My mother, who was a huge Francophile who had lived in Paris for a year, just announced when I was seven that I was going to learn French. And, you know, when you're seven, you say, okay. Um, so I started then, and it came 
easily and I played the piano. And so this is my main sort of strongest sense. If you take the five senses, my strongest one is definitely auditory. Uh, for example, my nose doesn't work very well, so I don't smell things that well. But I can hear everything, and noise bothers me terribly. And it, it so the, with the language study, it just continued throughout my life. In elementary school, I had Spanish. In high school, I had French. In college, I studied Spanish and Italian, and then finally Russian. And Russian was, of course, the most challenging because it was not a Romance language. I sweated. I sweated for two to three years over Russian grammar before I could actually have a conversation, believe it or not. Um, and then what clinched it is that I got to study abroad. I was in um, what was still then Leningrad, which is now St. Petersburg, for a semester, so five months. And um, I was able to use that as a base for learning Slovak because... Anyone who speaks a Slavic language knows that all the Slavic languages are related. And for me, Slovak grammar was really not a great big leap from Russian grammar. Um, all of the ideas of the cases and the um, inflections, the aspects. So I learned Slovak just by being in Slovakia. I actually, and it, it astounds me actually, it is, I astound myself that I never studied Slovak formally. And I don't know why that is. I think probably I was just too busy and too stressed out to stop and study or to go to a course. I had a job that took me all over Czechoslovakia in the early days, in the, in the 90s. Uh, and then when I came back in the 2000s, I had two children and was busy working and taking care of my kids, etc. So I learned Slovak just by talking to people and reading and having some of my wonderful Slovenčinarki friends, my linguist friends, uh, correct me. Later, uh, my children were able to correct me because they grew up speaking Slovak. Mm. And then translating. So translating obviously pushed me forward quite a lot in terms of how well I spoke and how well I understood. I'm still not there. I'm still working. I just wanted to tell you that when I <laughs> when I first started working in Slovakia, uh, I caused a whole bunch of problems because of my inability to express myself really precisely. That we were expecting them to, you know, pay for a, a teacher come or or I would go to Eastern Slovakia and have you know be questioned. The usual question was, you know how do you like Slovakia or how do you find Eastern Slovakia? And I would always say, well, the people here are so warm, and I would directly translate that to oh. to warm in Slovak with the classic mistake, right? I did it all the time. Ah, ludia su tu taki tepli, you know, and <laughs> I would I would be in a room with a dean of the economics university in Košice in a room, and I would say this to him, and in English it essentially means, oh, everybody here is gay, and it was just incredible how people in Slovakia managed to be so polite. They never protested. They never explained to me what I had just said. They just swallowed it and kept going. Right. So politeness, main <laughs> characteristic of Slovaks. <laughs> okay. So uh, let's now talk about uh, literature, the authors and works that you've translated. So 
One of the first, or maybe the first full-length work of prose that you translated was uh, Irena Brezhna's uh, Na slepačích krídlách, uh, The Best of All Worlds. So what attracted you to this book and what was it like translating it? Because it was actually originally written in German, right? Yes, uh, I began this journey with Irena Brezhna because I saw her give a talk and I was absolutely charmed by her and by the humor of the reading. The, the text was incredibly humorous and ironic and it was a, a very, very insightful observation of times, you know, socialist times in Czechoslovakia. So I approached her immediately after the reading and said, hi, you know, I'm a, an American living here and I translate and I loved your reading and if you'd ever like to get together and talk about translating bits and pieces of your work or any or just have coffee I'd love it and she immediately uh, said yes and I was you know shocked and delighted so I met her that way and she suggested that we work together on um, and it was in German but it had been in the meantime translated back into Slovak by uh, our colleague, someone you know very well, Jana Tsvikova. And so the text existed in Slovak, and Irena was willing to have me translate into English from the Slovak version, because I don't speak German, I, or well, I do, but it's you know really elementary. Uh, so there was no way I could have translated it from German. And we worked on it very hard. The, um, the advantage with Irena was that she, uh, although she was exacting in what she wanted in terms of the translation, she was also willing to spend an enormous amount of time with me to make sure that the text came out the way she had intended it originally. So I spent quite a lot of time with her, including going to Switzerland to stay with her for several days. And it was a fabulous experience. We became good friends. Uh, sadly, it's not uh, published no, that's that's really very, very sad. And then uh, you had a similar experience with uh, another book you translated, uh, Monika Kompanikova's uh, Piata Lodge, uh, boat number five. You've translated an excerpt and the whole book, and still it took a very, very long time. Now I'm, I'm touching wood and knocking on wood and crossing my fingers, but if everything goes right, it should be published uh, next year. Please with, do uh, all of Siegel, those things. <laughs> yes, with Seagull Books. But now, can you say a little bit about uh, what it was like translating uh, Monika Kompanikova's book? What attracted you to it? And then also, why do you think there is such a resistance to publishing Slovak books in the Anglophone book market? When I read it, I was just floored by her uh, for, by her incredible ability to create an emotional atmosphere. M Monica creates a kind of lilting loneliness, that kind of quiet pain that builds. It's just it's uh, it was devastating to read even though there's nothing terrible or you know, there's no blood, nobody dies. Um, it was just this heartbreaking, lonely story of a girl who lived with a mother who had her as a teenager and there was just hardly any relationship there and she just was 
aching for, you know, her mother's love. And then she um, kind of adopts <laughs> some babies. Of, I won't, I won't divulge the book, but it's this whole dial, the inner dialogue of a girl who is alone, absolutely alone in the city. On the second part of your question, if I may, it's interesting how you phrase it, that there's a resistance. I don't know myself how big that resistance is. I mean, you do. But what I've learned from translating another author, which um, maybe we'll talk about later, that if you're lucky enough to find an agent, it is possible. I think that um, probably the biggest factor, at least in the U.S. market, is that Slovakia is just really unknown. It's not a it's not a country people know about. It's not a country that people can differentiate from Slovenia or from any other part of former Yugoslavia, for that matter. Slovak literature does not come with a name like Milan Kundera. It just doesn't. So it's more difficult to convince publishers who right now uh, are being barraged by the entire world. I mean, publishers here are publishing all sorts of literature and translation. It's very hot. So they've got literally the whole world to choose from. And to compete with that is, you know, it's quite daunting. Yeah, well, tell me about it. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you started, uh, you mentioned agents, and I think this is the case of Jana Beneva, who managed to find an agent, and uh, the result was this uh, really great success story. She actually had two books published in your translation. So could you tell us a little bit about those two books and, and uh, how you worked with Jana Beneva and, uh, and so on? Absolutely. So again, I was approached, uh, and Jana Beneva had this, the blessing of a lovely agent. So Jana was a completely different experience from Irena Brezhna and Monika Kompanikova. Jana is something between a prose writer and a poet. She creates a lot of visual images. She's very efficient with language, and, and her language is truly her own. Her, her way of expressing herself is really unique. And at first, I, I wasn't sure what to do with it. I mean, her books are sort of, they're like visual auditory mosaics you you should one should really read them more than once in order for it all to kind of come into focus and kind of fall into place and so it it was challenging and really with Jana as with Irena and even with Monica the relationship between myself and the author was very very key I mean truly with Jana the the most of all because of the way she writes so we became uh, co-workers on this project. And when we found a modus operandi that worked for both of us, it, it became like this co-creation process. And she was able to explain to me exactly what she wanted. She had a rhythm in mind. She wanted this kind of a rhythm. She wanted this word at the end of the sentence. And, you know, at first I was a little thrown by that. I thought, well, this is English you know, and rhythm in English is different. And so we we gradually worked together. In the beginning, I went along with her a lot, and then she came to trust me, and so then I could suggest 
ways to craft the sentences and, and so forth. And the result was really good. And it was a, an astonishing experience. And the critics for both of the books, one, the first one is called Seeing People Off, which is a book about four friends in um, Bratislava. And the second one is called Away, Away, which is a short novella based on The Snow Queen by Hans Christian Andersen, which takes place in completely contemporary times. It, it, you, know, you can't really see that it's based on The Snow Queen unless you really pay attention. And the critics here in the U.S. Oh, loved it. We were written up in the Kenyan Journal, which is a you know, really well-known literary journal, and uh, a number of others. NPR did a great review, and you know the sales are, have been okay. And so I'm really proud of our work, I have to say. And so Anjana's very happy. Well, you should really be proud. And I think having these reviews is amazing because getting published is difficult enough, but then actually getting reviews is another huge mountain one has to climb. Uh, so Irina Brezhna, Monika Kompanikova, Jana Benjeva, all women. Now, did you deliberately set out to redress the imbalance that's been talked about quite a lot recently about uh, uh, the women writers being underrepresented in publishing in general and in translation in particular? Or did it just happen? That's a very nice question. I think in my case it just happened. I have translated men, but, you know, I will say... So the the women, the novels that I've translated by women are the largest works that I've done. And those just happened. But I will say that I've very much enjoyed working with women. I think so far it's been somewhat easier to work with women. It's easier to get close to them. It's easier to sort of find a a middle ground so far. I don't want to generalize. I mean, obviously... There are millions of writers in the world, um, so but it's been a, a a great a great chance to help some of those women be read and be recognized. And I ha- I still have hopes for Irina Brezhna. I think she's a fabulous writer. She's done very well in her home in what is now her home country of Switzerland. So maybe someday we'll see her book uh, published. The second the sequel to the book that I translated has been published and was extremely well received. She got the prize, literary prize in Switzerland. Do you have any other translating plans at the moment? I mean, you currently reinvented yourself as a coach and leadership development consultant, but I do hope that you haven't given up on translating altogether because there aren't that many of us. No, I'm still honored to belong to the very exclusive club of literary translators who uh, translate from Slovak to English, really. I I will never give up translating. I am just taking a break now uh, because my life has become very full between uh, having a full-time job working with Boeing, doing leadership development work with Asia, which has taken me 180 degrees in the other direction, uh, and doing some other projects on the side. You know, living here, I will be very honest, uh, living here means 
one having to be very focused on making a living. And translating is a beautiful profession, but it's difficult to make a good living doing it. I can very much see myself retiring in Slovakia and translating for years. Uh, hopefully I'll be healthy into my old age. We'll see. <laughs> I'm fine now. Um, but this is my, this is my hope. Um, I do wish that I could get very short assignments and sort of do them on the side here, but right now I, I'm taking a break. Well, that is understandable uh, in, in the circumstances. Uh, so in these really challenging times that we're living in and you know, weird and difficult, uh, can you maybe mention a book that has given you strength or inspiration, not necessarily a Slovak book? Yes, sure. I I'm reading some very diverse things right now. First of all, I'm reading a nonfiction book called The Body Keeps the Score, which is all about trauma and the brain and what happens to people who experience trauma and they can they can carry it through their entire life. And that's written by a Dutch psychiatrist who lives in the States. His name is Bessel van der, van der Kolk. Mm -hmm. And that's really fascinating. Um, I read Madeleine Albright's Fascism, which is extremely relevant, unfortunately, right now which really filled in a lot of holes in my historical knowledge and was very, very interesting. And finally, I've just started Olga Tokarczuk's Flights. Oh. And wow, wow. Yes. I am, oh boy, I'm blown away. I mean, this is really, you know, I've, I've read various things in, in the past years, but this book is truly literature. It's just, it's rich and it's beautiful. And the description is just so clear and just artistic. It's really a work of art. I, I'm so glad she won she, her Nobel Prize is well-deserved. And I've just started, so I'm really kind of looking forward to continuing. I'm going to take it slowly. It is a book to savor in, in short bursts, and it is really wonderful. I actually just finished uh, uh, Books of Jacob, which uh, is hmm. huge, it's 900 pages, so just holding it in, in my hand was difficult, it's heavy, but it was well worth it. Anyway. Oh my now... God, you cannot <laughs> see my face, I can't, I can't imagine. Good for you. That will be my next project in a few years. I think it's it's coming out in English next year in Jennifer Croft's translation. So yes, great, it's uh, quite something. Anyway, I think we have uh, run out of time. So many many thanks, Janet, for coming on Litka Slovakia. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much, Julia. It, likewise, it's always lovely to speak to a colleague in the field. <laughs>